Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Becky Quick, and you're listening to Squawk Pod. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Happy Thanksgiving on today's special podcast, Becky Quick's extended interview with Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. Only available here on Squawk Pod. A candid conversation on the pivotal moments of his career. Does that make you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> yes. Rational person. <laughs> From unloading company trucks as a teenager to sitting at the head of that same company. And as of this coming January, leading America's CEOs. We're not trying to make a political statement here. We're just trying to help create a safer environment. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, November 28th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. There you go. Have a good holiday. These are the sounds of holiday shoppers at Walmart, the largest retailer in America, bringing in almost $400 billion in sales last year. It's also the biggest private employer. More than a million and a half Americans work at a Walmart. Recently, Becky Quick sat down with the company's leader, Doug McMillan. Okay, that's one, two, three, four, five. McMillan's job is enormous. Think of those 1.5 million workers, they call them associates, and 21 consecutive quarters of sales growth in Walmart stores. That's a streak that Wall Street hopes will continue. And as you'll hear from McMillan in this interview and in past comments he's made that we'll remind you of, his job description, it only grows. Walmart has been thrust into the center of the debate on gun control in America, following a deadly shooting at one of its stores in August. A gunman walked into a crowded El Paso Walmart on a Saturday morning and killed 22 people. That location has only just reopened. Now, the shooting and policy changes since have made the job of CEO of the country's biggest retailer a role of national importance. We'll bring you all of this exclusively. Hi, Becky. Hi, Katie. (laughs) First, in this episode of Squawk Pod, Let's catch up with Becky Quick. Let's talk about Walmart, mm-hmm. the biggest retailer in terms of sales in the U.S., one of the biggest employers in the entire world, um, and run by a guy named Doug McMillan. Yeah. Uh, what cracks me up about Walmart is right around the turn of the century, they uh, hired more people than anybody on the planet with the exception of the U.S. government or the Red Army in China. That's still the case today. Um, they are a massive employer. They are massive in terms of their reach. I, I think about 10 percent of U.S. retail sales are just Walmart. So 10% of overall U.S. retail sales are Walmart. Doug McMillan is a guy who started there when he was a teenager, started working in one of their supply distribution warehouses, and he's been there ever since, but he's done just about everything there. We are just getting the news of some significant management changes at Walmart. Doug McMillan has been named to succeed Mike Duke as president and CEO. This is effective February 1st. You had all this stuff going on in Mexico last year with alleged bribery. You've had poor worker relations. And then you had this Ohio Walmart recently, which announced a food drive for its own workers. You can't deny, Becky, that Walmart has been, deserved or not, the subject of a lot of bad press. 
how long have you been covering Walmart as a company? I used to cover retail for the Wall Street Journal. I started back in the 1990s. I think it was 1999. It's crazy to think about the largest retailer in the world then kind of rebooting itself and deciding that it's going to create a whole new way that it's good, that it goes about business. One new way of doing business for Walmart, paying workers more. Here's McMillan in a 2015 corporate video. He's looking at the camera sitting in a wood-paneled office. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to have a few minutes to visit with you today. Specifically, we are in what used to be Sam Walton's office. Today, we're announcing a series of important changes that demonstrate our commitment to you, our associates. One of the most immediate changes is that we'll raise our starting pay and we'll provide opportunities for further raises based on performance. It hasn't been all smooth sailing for him in the about five years that he's been in the role. Let's talk about in 2015 when he decided to take some pretty bold moves um, to fix Walmart's image broadly among consumers and to fix their image internally with their employees. Yeah, I, and it was a bold move. I didn't even realize how bold it was at the time. He came on Squawk Box on that morning. Uh, it was in 2015 after he took over in 2014. And he started laying out his ideas for how he was going to reinvest in the company. I've learned since that he had been talking to people in the stores, people at every level, talking to customers, seeing what they thought about things. And he decided they really needed to reinvest in the stores and they really needed to reinvest in their people. And to do that, he was going to spend a lot more money in the stores and on wages. Thank you so much for being Good here Good morning. Today. Thanks for having me. So far, the street is not buying into what Walmart's doing. But is this something where you are taking um, the short-term pain for long-term gain? And, That's and, the idea. And when- to try and summarize it, we've got a stores business that needs investment and the investments that we made in people and training and in stock, faster checkouts, those things are starting to pay off. Online um, too, I our, suppose. Yeah, that's another big bucket. Great idea. You've heard it from everybody from Henry Ford on, talking about how they want to pay their employees so they can actually buy. Um, but when Wall Street got the numbers for the price tag on what that was going to cost, the stock took a massive hit. It was a bad day for Doug. Another big bet that he made is on digital mm-hmm. and in 2016 acquired Jet.com for mm-hmm. over $3 billion. You covered it the day uh, that he and Mark Laurie, the founder of Jet.com, announced their deal. Thank you very much. I am here at Jet.com headquarters in Hoboken in New Jersey. Walmart announcing officially yesterday that it is buying Jet.com for $3.3 billion. Doug, thank you so much for being here with us Morning, Becky. What attracted you to Jet.com? Why did you do this deal? Well, from a Walmart point of view, we're serious about e-commerce and want to serve customers in the way that they want to shop. And as we've been watching Jet.com grow, um, we've been paying close attention to the traction that they've had and their ability to scale so quickly. How did that change Walmart? Well, it brought in an outsider, a guy who had a lot of experience. Mark Laurie had done, what was it, diapers.com before that. So he had a lot of experience in this arena. And I think it changed the way Doug thought about things. He and Mark Laurie started instantly hitting it off and drawing through potential ideas of what they could do to change the company. Doug himself will admit that where we are three and a half years later is not what not where he expected to be, that they've learned a lot along the way. But I think that's true of anything. I think all of us learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. And that's certainly been the case here. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest surprises for Doug, turns out the Walmart brand itself, as Walmart.com, may be the most powerful asset that they have. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Maybe you find ways right. to retool, change what you're offering, 
uh, update things. He, he also said he realizes that the customer that they have, they have a customer in mind, a family in mind when they're thinking about Walmart stores. Well, they have a customer in mind and a family in mind when they're thinking about Walmart.com. It's a different customer. So many people know what Walmart is that now Doug McMillan is the incoming chair of the Business Roundtable, which is the lobbying and advocacy group for about 200 CEOs of major American companies. That's a huge job mm-hmm. for him. Why is it important that somebody like Doug McMillan is now the mouthpiece for America's CEOs? I asked him the same thing. Why in the world would you want this job on top (laughs) of the job that you already do? Because I believe in business. And I work for a company that for now almost 30 years from me, I've seen do good work. And um, I'm surprised that I was asked to do this, but excited about trying to help be one of the voices along with the other leaders in the business roundtable to put facts proof points behind the fact that companies do care. Companies are comprised of people. And we care about our customers, we care about our associates, and we care about the long term. We're trying to build something that's of high quality. So we do invest in wages. We do invest capital to try and make sure these companies are here for a long time. Because the job he does is kind of amazing. They've got more than 6,000 stores around the world, and you're going to see a problem that's propping up in one of those stores. And maybe it didn't even happen internally. You had the shooting that happened in a Walmart parking lot, and that's his problem too. Um, Why would you take this on? And he spoke pretty honestly and openly about that. I think he is somebody who thinks that when businesses are working right, uh, it really can help improve society. I think he wants to see that story get out, get told. And I think he's right. Uh, I mean, when you look at younger generations who are thinking that socialism is the way to go, well, they haven't seen some of the better side of this. They haven't seen the stories of what capitalism can do and how it can lift people out of poverty, how it can make such a positive impact. And I think he'd like to see that message get out. And it's interesting timing that he's taking on this role with the the BRT right when gun policy and gun violence in in and near Walmart has also become an emerging story. Right. Look, he was pretty outspoken about this. He would like to see Washington pick up and do something with it. El Paso really thrust us into a situation that we wouldn't have anticipated. And um, As you'll remember, we took some time to think through what we needed to do. Our first focus was, was on caring for the associates that were impacted and the customers' families that were impacted and all the things related to that. Then store security, um, looking again to figure out what more we should be doing by location and how to do that to make sure our stores are safe. And then we turned our attention to, are we happy with the policies that we have and what more should we do? And we sought a lot of counsel from everyone. It's a very divisive issue, obviously. And what we've tried to do is just come forward with some common sense steps. And we would love to see government do the same thing, just some practical common sense steps to help make the country safer. And as we've said to everyone, we don't think the status quo is acceptable. We think there needs to be change, and there can be change while protecting the rights of gun owners. And as I tried to communicate, I grew up in a family that hunted, and I own own guns, and we can see all the sides of this issue. But what we ultimately decided to do was to eliminate our handgun ammunition and certain ammunition that can be used in different types of rifles, including modern sporting rifles, as they're called. Um, And we also put in place this open carry policy to try and help make the stores feel safe for our associates. Part of what I hope people can understand is that people go to work there every day and they want to feel safe. And we listen to our associates more than anyone else as we work through this this crisis to ask them what they thought. Um, And so we tried to arrive at a solution that took some steps that hopefully makes the stores safer and and hopefully the country safer. And then we tried to speak out to the administration and to Congress to say, please join us, look at 
at uh, background checks, look at other aspects of this, and try to help make changes because these shootings that are happening in schools and, are, and other places in the world, including some at Walmart, are just not acceptable. Here's Becky Quick and Walmart CEO Doug McMillan on stage at the CNBC Evolve conference in Los Angeles earlier this month. Please welcome to the stage Doug McMillan, the president and CEO of Walmart, and my friend, the co-anchor of Squawk Box, Becky Quick. You have reinvented the company, and that's absolutely true, which I think is kind of amazing if you put this in context. You came in to take over as CEO in 2014. It was already the world's largest retailer. So you looked at this huge success story, and you said, okay, how do we shake things up? Why? Well, first of all, the story's not over yet. Um, And whatever has happened has been a team effort, obviously. But, you know, when we started on this effort to change the company a few years ago, we really kind of stepped back and started from scratch. And culturally, the company embraces that. Um, Our associates embrace that because it goes all the way back to our founder. Um, Sam Walton passed away in 1992. But if you were working with us today in stores in the home office, you would kind of feel like he's still around. Not in a creepy way, like in a good way. (laughs) Um, um, But he had this way of changing things. And so we kind of started together as a leadership team and said, what needs to be constant? Because when you're going through a period of change, it's helpful to know as a human being what's not changing. What are my anchors? And we have a great purpose that we got from him, and we have a strong set of values that we believe are timeless. And we then turned to the organization and said, other than our purpose and values, everything else is open to change. If the customer doesn't want stores, we won't have stores. If the customer wants them, we'll figure out how to make them better so that we serve them in the way they want to be served. And that created this opportunity to to refresh and, and rethink everything. The super centers in the U.S. are really important to us, and any plan for Walmart has to start with them. But we then laid out kind of a sequential plan to say, we're going to do these things first, and here's why. Then we'll move to this area. Then we'll move to this area. And that's what's happened over the last few years. You've seen us work through International and Sam's Club and make changes. And I didn't understand when we initiated it just how much of a digital transformation was needed, and that journey is still underway. But there there are multiple change efforts happening being led by lots of associates in the company, but we're kind of all in it together, which gives you a shot at at getting through to the next generation of retail. And as you and I have talked about before, um, retailers come and go. History is very clear. So your only choice is to adapt and change or perish. And we kind of like, would like to avoid that. That's a good idea as the CEO of a retailer. Um, you, you just said something that kind of had me thinking. You said, if, if the customer doesn't want stores, we're not going to have them. You've got 11,300 stores around the world. You really think that? The future yeah, could that's be one without stores? That's where we started. And I can tell you that now... Um, as I sit here today, I'm really confident they want stores because we're seeing the evidence of that. But a few years ago, um, there were a lot of voices inside the company questioning everything. And so we didn't go into it saying our purpose in life is to prove that stores are part of the future. We didn't. We started with how do customers want to be served? And it turns out that the stores end up playing a really important role in that process, especially with fresh and perishable food and things you buy in big baskets all the time. And so that's played to our advantage. And now we can leverage that. So we've got, if I just focus on the U.S., we operate in 27 countries today, but the U.S. is our biggest and most important business. If I just focus on that, we now have these relatively large um, physical stores close to people within 10 10 miles of 90% of America, uh, five miles of 70% of America that have a great assortment of fresh and perishable food consumables and general merchandise that you buy frequently that we can now build on and, and put other things into. Like we just opened our first 
um, Walmart Health Clinic in Georgia, mm -hmm. and that takes that took additional square footage because we didn't we needed all the space we currently had for other things in the store, and now those become these nodes in the distribution channel, um, in addition to being stores where people continue to shop. More Squawk Pod after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to our Thanksgiving episode of Squawk Pod. We're picking up here with more of Becky Quick's special conversation with Walmart CEO, Doug McMillan. Just talking about the evolution of Walmart, um, you guys have done things that seem like they are absolutely common sense right now that would not have seemed like that 10, 20, 30 years ago. What happened just with the push to get into groceries? Was that something that the stores pushed back at that point? Um, the whole world kind of pushed back. I think, you know, Sam was still alive when we initially started. And, um, he, David Glass, and some other people in the company, David was our CEO that followed Sam Walton and is one of the uh, heroes in business that's not very appreciated, in my view, given what he did. But at that point in time, in the early late 80s, early 90s, they started with these European hypermarkets, and those were too big, and we failed miserably with them. But they then pivoted to these super centers and opened the first one in Washington, Missouri in 1988 with food. Fast forward a few years, like maybe 92, I think it was Forbes wrote a, st a story about has Walmart lost its magic? Mm -hmm. And I keep it in my office. I got a hard copy of this magazine from the early 90s where it basically says Walmart's dead. Uh, these decisions to get into the grocery business and to do self-distribution in grocery, to put the capital in to build grocery distribution behind these stores is crazy. And at the same time, they were expanding internationally. They went to Mexico. And Sam's Club had just been born in 1983. So the story was taken on too much, lost their way. Um, Sam's gone. They're never going to make it. And if you look at all the metrics, um, it actually picked up under David's leadership for a long time. Well, people thought you were crazy for getting into groceries because it's such a low-margin business. Right. 3% versus the big margins you can get for general merchandise in other areas. Why did it pay off? Why does it work? Customers. You know, they, they want to save time and, and they want to save money. And, and the broad assortment, when you put food next to GM, you, general merchandise, you ended up picking up an even bigger basket. And they designed the super center with pharmacy and food service and all these components. It just made it a great place to shop. You could get good value. You could get quality merchandise. It was in stock. People were friendly. Um, and you had that breadth of assortment. And so now we've got that foundation to, to build on. And very few of our competitors have any kind of grocery capability like we do, and and you know we are one of the few that operate all these multi-formats. We've got Sam's Club, we've got the international business, so we have a diversified portfolio that's that's stronger because it's diversified. Was it gratifying to you to see Amazon get into the grocery business when they bought Whole Foods? Oh, I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's an interesting situation we could see when you when you look at where this is headed if you study um, Alibaba in China or the flip cart business that we bought in India or what's happening here in the US with Amazon with Walmart and some others there's a bit of a mutually reinforcing ecosystem that's being built and part of that 
includes fresh and perishable food. And the good news for us is it's really hard. And doing um, food, especially fresh, in an environment where you don't have store traffic is really hard because if you don't sell that fresh product, it's got to be thrown away, Mm -hmm. which is obviously wasteful and also expensive. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got this situation where these super centers can be leveraged with a flow. Again, self-distribution, build the warehouses, have the low cost, have the reliability of supply, have experienced um, buyers that work back. I was traveling with one of our buyers last week who was just in Central America working on bananas. And so we know all the way back through the supply chain what's happening managing that, getting it to a store, and now the store becomes a pickup point in addition to being a place you can shop, and grocery pickup has really expanded. And now that you can pick in the store efficiently, which we're learning how to do better and better all the time, you can then do delivery. So we now have grocery delivery around the U.S. and 1,400 locations. I don't think we've earned your business yet where you live. But you don't have a Walmart we'll be working on, I'm going to deliver I've been you. waiting. We will figure this out. <laughs> Got to figure this out because I can't have you on TV talking about shopping anywhere else. But... <laughs> Anyway, you you go to grocery delivery, and then eventually we go all the way to just keeping you in stock in your home. And last week, I was in Kansas City on Monday. It was really cold and snowing, but I went with one of our associates to deliver groceries and order all the way into a home. And so we've got a device, a a camera that live streams the event. (laughs) No, it's great. You're going to do it. Explain to everybody what this is. All right, so a Walmart associate, you place an order on your app. And you choose Walmart in home and you pay a membership fee and, and we just start putting your goods away in, in the refrigerator for you. And eventually we're going to... Am I home to, at this point? Uh-huh. Or, or your or garage. Some people are buying refrigerators to put in the garage and yeah. a lot of homes in the U.S. already have refrigerators. Yeah. Our number one issue so far, by the way, is dogs. <laughs> like the customer will tell us I have no dogs and you get there and there's a dog. And I was talking about 12 associates last week, and one of them said, yeah, this dude always runs into the dogs. And he's like, yeah, I'm a dog guy. And some of them are scary. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we delivered this order into the refrigerator and then left the ambient product that didn't need refrigeration on the counter. And we have not had one single customer try it that doesn't keep it. And we're in Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Vero Beach, Florida now. And I really think there will be a moment in time where you think of Walmart just as a service. Like you'll, the average household may have about 100 items between cleaning supplies, paper goods, fresh and perishable food that you just buy all the time. And we'll just manage that for you. And any exploration you want to do, discovery you want to do on other items, you'll do. But we'll just take care of those others for you. You know, I can understand that if you have the same person who is coming to my house every time and I get to know them. Yeah. I don't understand it if you use, let's say, the Amazon model where there's somebody different showing up at my house every time I order package. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And our customers are asking, can I narrow this down to one or two people? Mm-hmm. At scale, we may be able to get it down to where it's one, two, three people. But we show you on the app, like there'd be a profile, um, Becky. And here's who she is, maybe a thumbnail. Like one of them I saw was like, Becky likes tacos. She has a dog and she's a parent. Oh, she's a mom of three. Now you really know And way she's too been much. an associate. The, the associate, she's been an associate for more than two years. She's mm-hmm. been vetted. And you'll either get but, Becky or you'll get Doug. But it's going to be an employee that you know. And it's a Walmart therefore associate. I will get to know them. Walmart now. associate, minimum two years experience with the company, background check done, et cetera. Okay. That, that makes a difference. Digitally, you have upended the world. People are watching every move you make. It started, I think, in earnest when you acquired Jet.com back in 2016 and took Mark Laurie and put him in charge of your e-commerce operations. Um, what did you learn along the way? And I, I think oftentimes people learn the most from the mistakes. Um, what did you learn along the way as you've been putting this very rapidly into place? Yeah, there have been plenty of, pl- 
plenty of mistakes made, and it's choppy underneath the surface. And we we were just starting. If you go back to the time period where we were thinking about buying jet, we had just started online grocery. We had a grocery delivery business in the UK that we were learning from. We'd taken a system and, and things and put it in California, and it was very nascent. And our GM business really wasn't growing as much as we needed it to grow, and we were building out a software platform. We were putting fulfillment centers in place. We were playing catch-up, trying to get there. And when we met Mark and the team and saw how they think about the future of e-commerce, the first time Mark and I met, we were on the whiteboard talking about how these pieces could connect and how the thing would work. We saw a chance to take a risk and try to jumpstart it. And it hasn't worked out exactly like we thought it was going to work out, but it did cause us to accelerate. And some of the expertise and knowledge, the things that the team brought with us have now been applied to the, the overall Walmart approach. And the Walmart brand is so much stronger. Like the, an investment to grow Jet is expensive relative to an investment to grow Walmart because Walmart's brand is so well-known. Right. And so we took a lot of our resources and we just put them against Walmart.com. We've had the most success with food. We've got, we just released earnings recently, and I called out there. We still have a long way to go with general merchandise. Our assortment needs to get bigger. Our service needs to get better. We're all working on that. But over the last few years, Greg, Greg Foran, who was leading Walmart U.S. and is now going to run Air New Zealand, yeah. did a fantastic job of getting the stores in a really good place foundationally. We invested, you'll remember, in wages and training and education. And, and then we built this grocery pickup and delivery business under Greg's leadership. And now put that with a larger general, merch, general merchandise e-commerce business that we're trying to build, including a marketplace and other services related to that, you start to fill out that chessboard that I was describing earlier that is that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And we could kind of see ahead because we could see what was happening in China. We could see what was happening in the U.K. So if you look at our strategy, it's part history of Walmart U.S. and what we knew about it, part U.K., part Chinese. Part of the history of what you learned in the U.S. stores was that if you put groceries in, you will bring customers in and they will buy lots of other stuff. What happens when you are saying, okay, we'll deliver groceries directly to you or you can pull up in the store parking lot and we'll have fulfilled it in the store and hand it to you? They're not coming in. How do you capture their other purchases? Impulse is still possible, and the basket size for grocery pickup and delivery is much bigger than the basket size in the store, Mm -hmm. and our store traffic is still up. So at the same time that we're building pickup and delivery and this overall e-commerce business, store traffic is continuing to grow. And I imagine this day when we're in your house and we're going to deliver your order for you. And on the table, we're going to leave, based on the data we have about you, we're going to leave some items that, that you may like. And if you like them, keep them. And if you don't, put them in a certain place. We'll take them back the next time. We'll handle your returns. I think we'll get there. That's a pretty good idea. Um, Are you sold yet? Almost, as long as I can really get to know these people first. Because I, I, I do let cleaning people into my house. I do let things like that happen. But it's only because I know them and I've gotten to know them over time, and then I feel comfortable with it. Um, let's back up a little bit and, and just talk about your own history with Walmart. You are only the fourth CEO to lead the company since the founder, Sam Walton. And um, you started working there when you were a teenager in the summers. At that point, did you ever mention that one day you would eventually be in Sam Walton's wood-paneled office running no. things? No. My dad was a dentist, and he moved to Bentonville, uh, moved us to Bentonville when I was 16 and said, get a job because you're going to need money for college. And um, Walmart warehouse number two paid six fifty an hour, and McDonald's and others paid less than four. <laughs> so I applied for a job at a Walmart warehouse and just got exposure to the culture. I was unloading trailers in the summertime in Arkansas with people that were fired up about working for this company. 
And I got to hear about Sam Walton and living in that small town, got to be around him a few times. And then when I joined the company, got to watch him lead Saturday morning meetings for a little while and just fell in love with the whole thing, like the purpose, the culture. I liked the people we were working with. It was super hard. Trying to figure out what you guys are going to buy next is a huge challenge. And when you have to buy it in large quantities, it's even riskier, and that's so fun. So most of my career was buying and selling merchandise. Like they, I ran ladies' wear, believe it or not, for a little <laughs> while, but bought ladies. They, they told me to buy ladies' woven tops, and I went home to ask my wife what a woven was because I didn't know. <laughs> Because I've been buying food, and, and then I got to do all kinds of stuff, toys and electronics, and it's just been a blast. Okay, so you're there, and I, I didn't realize six fifty an hour was why you started there, but that takes us to 2015, when you came out with this huge announcement that you were going to overhaul uh, what Walmart was paying its employees. It was going to boost wages, it was going to boost benefits, it was going to reinvest in the stores, and it sounded like a great plan until you got to Wall Street and told them how much it would cost. Um, Wall Street reacted badly, did not like what it was hearing. I think we lost $21 billion in market cap in the day. Did that make you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> yes. Rational person. <laughs> so I think I can understand how you got to that decision based on your own experience going through the stores. Yeah. How did you decide to stick with it after losing $21 billion in market cap in a day? Well, we knew it would work. We were really confident it would work, and we just knew it would be a matter of time. So back to the strategy. If you don't have a healthy U.S. supercenter business in Walmart, you don't have much. And I had been in International for five years and Sam's Club for six years before that. And so when I moved into this job, I started traveling the U.S. stores unannounced and asking people what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you. And so, you know, you take a, enough notes on a yellow pad from enough store visits and all of a sudden a plan emerges. And um, we, the management team, went back to the board and said, um, we think that we need to get wages up and we think we need to do it soon and, and aggressively. And the board um, really pushed us to be even more aggressive and to do it very quickly and, and go harder and go bigger. And so we did. And so I knew that we had support to go do it. And I knew that if you could put enough of these pieces together, we needed to protect store hours. Like retail, people talk a lot about starting wage rate. Starting wage rate is just one variable in a system. Do I get the hours that I'm supposed to get? Do I have a promotional opportunity? Do I get good health care? Do I get a bonus? Do I get a 401k match? Do I get parental leave that I want? So we just laid out a plan and said, okay, we're going to start with starting wages, but we've also got to address some of these other things, including putting more people into the store to staff departments. We had taken away more people than we should have taken away. So we had this kind of sequential plan that was expensive, but we knew if we did that, the stores would look good, and then we were going to start lowering prices. We, had, we kept telling each other, clean your house up before you invite people over. <laughs> so step one was kind of clean up the house, and step two was lower prices and tell customers to come look. And they're rational. You know, a good store that's clean with friendly people and low prices works. And once that wheel starts moving, then you can go do other things, including address e-commerce more aggressively and then Sam's International, as I described earlier. You uh, just reported earnings last week, as you mentioned. I think it's 21 quarters in a row now that you've seen same-store sales growth. So obviously the plan worked. What's the next step? How do you continue that trajectory? Yeah, we've got to keep it going. I mean, this, this story is far from being completely written and we're learning every day. And one of the things that I really like about the team that I work with now and these Walmart associates is that they're figuring out how to solve problems big and small all the time. The, the opportunity to use AI, the opportunity to use automation, all kinds of, of tech to make these jobs better and easier and improve the store experiences uh, right in front of us. 
and we're learning how to put some um, tools, some robotics in place in store with associate interaction that do some of the things that they don't, they don't enjoy doing. We have a shelf scanner that goes up and down the aisles to make sure the items are in the right place and that they're priced well. And we've got a, uh, what we call a fast unloader in the back that's got computer vision um, and it can sort merchandise to say that goes straight to the floor, this needs to be held back for Christmas, those kinds of things. And so learning how to put digital applications, applications on devices and hardware in place to help make the whole supply chain work in an optimized way, um, reduce carbon, sell products that are more sustainable in, in nature, have a bigger, bigger impact on packaging because of the way we're now delivering goods to the customer. There are just so many things we can tweak on the, in this system to make it work. And the leadership of the company really is just like a bunch of system designers. Like if we change this, what happens over here? If we change that, what happens over here? And if you've been in retail as long as most of us have, you can kind of see the system and, and it's fun to try different things to see what works. Doug, we really want to thank you for kicking this off thanks, for us. Thanks this for morning. having me. Thank you all. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, get your credit cards ready. It's Black Friday. The Super Bowl of retail right here on Squawk Box on Friday morning, starting at 6 a.m. If you want to know what's going on in retail land, online and off, there's only one place to set your TV. Nielsen boxes are going to be like exploding. We've never seen anything like this. Our podcast is a hybrid that we hope offers you the smartest moments and analysis from our three-hour morning show with a little extra. And that is thanks to Squawk Box TV anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, as well as the team behind the sounds. He's here too. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, and Waverly Colville. And Christina Scalaro assisted on this episode. Special shout out to the Squawk Box studio and control room teams who keep the train moving every day. Becky's Mike, you. And the bookers and producers who bring us the show's great content. If you like what you hear, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 